And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 38 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, I know you're doing pretty well. You had a pretty exciting weekend. Uh, but outside of that, how you been doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. You know, this week, uh, I always feel like that last Sunday, I feel a little melancholy. It's just one game and you uh, have to wait another year because you figure that that's what I do all week is think about you know, watching Missouri Valley Conference basketball. So this is kind of a, a, a downtime for me before uh, IndyCar season gets started. But my oldest son just reminded me today or pointed out at least that the basketball version of Last Chance You dropped today on Netflix. So I don't know if you were a fan of Last Chance You, the football show that they did those five seasons, but I'm interested to see how this is going to look for a basketball program. Yeah, I was uh, very interested in that uh, Netflix for football. Um, it, I know some some people don't really like those documentaries, and I'm not much of a documentary guy myself, but I didn't see it being as like a documentary, even though some would say, well, it's just talking about a certain program and whatnot, but it's almost like a behind-the-scenes you know, TV show, and I really enjoyed it. You know, there's no filter, and I think that's what I liked most about it was that, you know, it, it's exactly what you would see if you were there. You know, there's no right. sugarcoating it. So, but yeah, I actually hadn't seen that there was going to be a basketball one. So. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, got all moved in to the new house and got everything up in my spare room that I'm using as like the podcast room, got everything set up and it looks pretty nice. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually excited about how it turned out. So, but other than that, TJ, uh, we got a lot to recap from this past weekend. We'll recap the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley tournaments, and we'll go through the all tournament teams between the Missouri Valley and the OVC for the tournaments. And we'll just kind of, give a give an outlook on what's ahead for the uh podcast but first things first tj uh, i know you were at the games for the missouri valley so we'll let you get it started off with uh some of the games from the missouri valley well i mean as a whole if you paid attention the tournament pretty much went to see the only uh, game that really didn't was the the first one of the tournament was southern illinois versus bradley and bradley was obviously shorthanded between the suspensions and the injuries but then Southern Illinois had an injury of their own with uh, Lance Jones going down early in the first half. He only ended up playing a little under six minutes. And SIU kind of, they, those other guys, they answered the call and uh, really played some good team basketball. He got 24 points out of Ben Harvey off the bench, including uh, five for five from the free throw line and then 13 points from Trent Brown and 10 points from Verplanken. And of course, uh, had 12 points from their freshman uh, leader Kyler Filowich um, on their way to a 73-63 win over Bradley. Rank Mast had 24 points for Bradley, and Sean East the second had 16. And the big difference was the bench. You know, with Harvey coming off the bench, they outscored uh, Southern Illinois outscored Bradley 28 to 10 off of the bench, and that's the biggest difference in the game. Uh, the next game was Illinois State Northern Iowa. And the Northern Iowa ended up winning 65 to 60 in a game that it just felt like, you know, they had just played uh, last weekend or the weekend prior, including a double overtime game. And Northern Iowa just couldn't quite shake them. And they only led by as much as seven late in the game and ended up with that five point win. 
but Illinois State was led by Dusan Mahorsic with 15 points and seven boards, DJ Horn with 10 points and seven boards, and got another 10 out of Antonio Reeves. But Austin Fife was a player of the game easily, going 9 for 14 from the floor with 21 points and had nine boards, so almost had himself a, a triple-double and got 11 points out of Tawan Pickford. So, again, a uh, big game for Austin Fife leading Northern Iowa out of the playing games on Thursday. So, uh, you know, the big question was for day two was, uh, you know, Lance Jones going to be able to play against Loyola? And, you know, how were the, the Salukis going to look coming into that? And uh, it was pretty easy to tell early on. He was on, it's not a, it's not a wheelchair, but it's that, that cart that you have where you can like kneel on. You sure. know what I'm talking about? You see more and more people use them. Yeah. And uh, so he was on that and you saw that right away. Uh, Loyola obviously wins 73-49. And just I think SIU was outmatched and having played, you know, just about 16 hours before that and then losing uh, your top score. Those two things just definitely didn't help. Anthony Devonzo with 18 points for the Salukis. Dalton Banks in the starting role gets 12 points for them. And, you know, uh, Ben Harvey, you know, they were really keyed on him and he wasn't able to break loose like he was against Bradley. So I think that made a huge difference. Uh, you could really tell, or at least I felt like, that uh, Loyola was already starting to think about the next day. And it's not to say they didn't put forth effort, because they did, but the number of minutes, it felt like Cameron Crutwig, I mean, he only played 21 minutes, and there was a significant amount of that time that he sat in the first half as you know they got a good performance out of Jacob Hudson off the bench, who actually led him in scoring with 13 points. And he, he played... 15 minutes in place of Kretwig for the most part and 11 points each out of Lucas Williams and then Braden Norris, who just had a heck of a tournament. At one point, Loyola was up 29 points in the second half. And like I said, you know, they got such, SIU got such a performance out of their bench the day before. They only got seven points out of them in that second game. Evansville, Indiana State were the fourth game. Indiana State wins 53-43 over the Purple Aces. And it was one of those where it was pretty uh, – What? how do I want to say this? Indiana State just could, couldn't quite pull away. They got a really big game out of Tyreek Key with 19 points, a lot of those coming at the free throw line, and 10 points from Trey Williams, while Noah Frederick led the Aces off uh, four or seven shooting with 10 points, and he also had uh, teammate Evan Kuhlman with 10 points as well. Um, overall, you know, it felt like – Again, Indiana State had this game. They just couldn't quite pull away. Evansville kept hanging around, and you wondered if they were going to go on a run there that would really give Indiana State some fits, but it just didn't come for them. Well, uh, you look at that game. I mean, that second half, I mean, pretty boring. I mean, really boring. It was there just 22-14 to 14 was the scoring in the second half. Right. I think outside of Loyola winning the tournament, though, the real story was – that they had a game canceled. Uh, going, the players were getting tested every day for seven days leading up to the tournament for COVID. Northern Iowa uh, had their players all tested negative Wednesday night, Thursday night. They had one of their players test positive, and due to the contract contract tracing of the city of St. Louis, that deemed a number of players that were not going to be able to play in the game on Friday. So. Uh, there's some discrepancy about was it a false positive? You know, were we following the right protocol? Because there were different protocols being 
followed by the league and the city of St. Louis. And Coach Jacobson has said on Monday that had he known on Friday what he knew by Monday, he thinks they should have played. And I think that definitely played a role that you gave Drake an extra day off, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, it was kind of uh, um, kind of bizarre how it happened, but you expected it. You know, it was going to happen at some point, I think, and it's just unfortunate that it happened in the tournament after they got through the whole season getting all their games in. So that led us to uh, the last game of the day, and Friday is always my favorite day to normally get four games in. But Missouri State beats Valparaiso 66-55, and really, Missouri State jumped out early and, and kind of had control of this game for the most part. Valparaiso made a couple runs late, and I think they got it down to, it was eight or nine at one point in the second half. But again, Missouri State would just kind of answer and, and come back. They, the Valparaiso got 17 points out of Sheldon Edwards, who had a real strong finish to the season. And Ben Cricky had 12 points, and then Donovan Clay had 10 points and seven boards for Valparaiso as well. And then on the Missouri State side, huge game out of Isaiah Mosley, which is no surprise, with 29 points going 11 for 21 from the floor and 11 points out of Gage Crimson. So their two big guys showed up. But just an example, it was 31 to 13 at half. And just Valparaiso, it felt like just for whatever reason, they could not get shots to fall. It felt like they'd get good shots and they wouldn't go in. So they were, but then they'd take other times that they took a, a, a off the dribble 17 footer. You know, 10 seconds left on the shot clock, which felt kind of like uh, a forced shot. So definitely felt like Missouri State's game the whole way. Day three, uh, the semifinals. So it just went, like I said, it was you know, went straight by seeds at this point. Loyola defeats Indiana State 65-49. And this kind of felt like that Missouri State Valparaiso game where Loyola was always kind of in control. Indiana State might make a little bit of a run here and there, but it never really felt threatening. Jake LaRavia for the Sycamores had 13 points and Tyreek Key in his final game uh, for what I think will be his final game for Indiana State had 11 points and he kind of struggled in the first half that uh, you didn't really notice him in the first half for the most part. Uh, big games from several uh, of the Loyola players, Cameron Crutwig with 18 points in 31 minutes, uh, 14 points for Lucas Williamson, 12 points for Keith Clemens and 10 points for Ayer Ugwak, who uh, was five for six from the floor. So, you know, pretty well-rounded performance. Even their fifth starter, Braden Norris, had nine points. And again, uh, a lot of time, there were extended times where Crutwig was the, was the most noticeable, didn't spend a lot of time on the floor. You know, he was on the bench for long stretches, and I think that's because Coach Moser was planning on, you know, having those guys ready. So Drake plays their first game. Uh, so after they got the forfeit win over Northern Iowa due to their positive test. And uh, probably the best game of the tournament, really, that they went up against Missouri State in that semifinal. A huge game out of Keaton Hervey. Uh, had 18 points for the Bears. Gage Krim with another good game with 19 points. I think the combination of those two games, that he just was more consistent than Mosley is probably what ends him up on the all-tournament team. But big game out of Tramel Murphy for the Drake Bulldogs with 20 points. And Joseph Yesufu, he shot 8 for 23 from the floor, which doesn't sound great, but he was 8 for 10 from the free throw line, including a layup at the end of the game. I think he hit it with about two seconds left to give them the lead and just a two-point game because Drake wins 79-61. And Missouri State played the late game on Friday night, 
Drake hadn't played in uh, a week. And I think you got to pretty much think that there was probably one or two plays in there that Drake maybe had the edge on over Missouri State because of that difference in play. You know, and that's unfortunate. And I, you know, if it gets played a thousand times, how many times does Missouri State win? I don't know because, you know, Drake had beaten them twice earlier in the year, but obviously that was with two of their star players. So a lot of people think that that win for Drake and then a good showing in the championship game was going to be enough for them to get in a, in a tournament next week. So championship game was just a game of runs. Loyola ends up winning 75-65, but it felt like Loyola would go on a run, then Drake would run, make a run to catch up, um, you know, and it just felt that way through the whole first half. A friend of mine was texting and just said, hey, you know, this game is just an absolute game of runs, and it, was, it just felt that way the whole time. But uh, Loyola managed to open up a five-point lead at half, and then they were able to uh, extend it to as much as 17 in the second half with about 10 minutes to go. And, you know, again, Drake didn't quit. I think they had it down to six or eight late. At one point, as a fan, wanting both teams to get in, I thought, Drake, you know, quit fouling. Get this, make sure it's just a, a single-digit loss for the uh, NCAA uh, com- selection committee. But Tramel Murphy with 20 points. DJ Wilkins had a big game with 20 points for uh, the Bulldogs and another 12 out of Joseph Yesifu. And then uh, Cameron Crutwig saved his best for the last game with 20 points, six for six from the free throw line. And Braden Norris really had a breakout game. I think he was a huge difference for uh, Loyola in that game. He shot five for nine from three-point range, and he was shooting so well it got to the point where he was kind of surprised if he missed. So, like I said, it went according to seeds. Hopefully Drake has done enough to convince the uh, committee that they deserve a spot next week so so um, so with that tj uh you being there all all weekend week uh start to finish what was your biggest takeaway from the tournament and maybe what what surprised you the most in the tournament like if we're not going to go i'm not going to say uh you know what was your what did you see as the biggest disappointment, but maybe like what didn't happen that you thought was going to happen? I think my biggest takeaway is how good loyal it is. They've really, I think early on it was kind of, they and Drake were neck and neck and maybe, you know, if Drake's not shorthanded, it's different, but I just think they're, they're really talented. And I think some people are looking at like, well, if Kretwig, you know, leaves it, maybe they're going to have a, they're going to fall off. I don't know that that's going to happen. As far as my, the biggest surprise Gosh, I, I, as I was talking about the games, I kind of thought like, well, if what happens if it was Drake that had the positive test Thursday night? Oh, yeah. Now suddenly Northern Iowa finds themselves in the in the semifinals. That I mean, that from a league perspective and a fan of the league, it worked out okay because it wasn't one of your top teams that had to forfeit. Yeah. Like, what are we? What kind of mess are we in if it was? You know, like I said, Drake or heaven forbid Loyola. Oh yeah, that has a positive test, and because of that contract contact tracing, that they're suddenly on the outside looking in, and they hadn't even played a game. Well, and I, I saw this last week. I saw it on Twitter. What what I find more ironic about this situation is you have a game that's canceled during the Missouri Valley tournament, 
And before the tournament even started, this this stat came out where the Missouri Valley Conference was the only conference that played all 100% of their conference games this year. Mm -hmm. And then you have this that happens. I mean, you, you just felt like they were doing great with every aspect of, you know, the regulations, restrictions, whatnot. And, and I'm thinking, well, there's no way. I didn't even think of this. I didn't even think of this scenario was even going to be possible, you know, in right. the tournament. And then all of a sudden I see that it's canceled. I'm like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. You know, because the OVC was right behind Missouri Valley. The OVC was second with most conference games played. They only had one game that wasn't played. Yep. Which that's what led them to that, you know, one verse eight instead of that double buy. Yep, and I think as Missouri Valley fan, you were really probably like, "Hey, we got them all in. We need some weird percentages to come into play." And then they have something like this happen, which is just unfortunate. You know, it feels like it was gonna happen. It just stinks that it was in the tournament. Well, yeah, especially just I mean, even worse for the, you know. Not only the coaching staff, but especially the players. I mean, you're it's not like you were just getting ready to leave, you know, the campus. I mean, you're already in St. Louis. Yep. I mean that that's what I think makes it worse. Like mm-hmm. you're ready to play and then all of a sudden, boom, season's over. So but on the Ohio Valley side, uh really a, a really good tournament, honestly. Uh the first game and ironically, the last game of the tournament championship, those were the only two games that were uh, decided by double digits. Every other game was right there down to the wire. That's fantastic. Uh, so you opened up the tournament with SIUE and Belmont. And SIUE was giving Belmont a run there uh, probably for about the first, first, first 10 minutes of the first half. Uh, and then Belmont started to pull away. SIU would make a few shots and claw back into it a little bit, but Belmont was a little too much uh, when it all when it was all said and done. They ended up winning 78-61. They took a 13-point lead into the half. Uh, SIU was led by Mike Adewumi. He had 16 points, six boards, three assists. He was all over the floor for the Cougars. And Grayson Murphy, uh, he paced Belmont. He had 13 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Very balanced game for Grayson Murphy and watching that game uh it really looked like I mean SIU was playing I mean when it comes tournament time everybody's zero and zero and it's a fresh restart for each team and uh Belmont you know they came into the tournament you know scuffling a little bit they lost a couple games uh to end the season and SIU was playing like you know they hadn't seen Belmont before and what I think really helped SIUE early on was they were hoping for a lot of redemption. They knew they were better than what the two scores earlier in the season showed for uh, SIUE when they played Belmont because they played them twice in the first game. They lost to Belmont steamrolled 114 to 62. And then they lost 94 to 62 at home. So they, and they were, they were absolutely blown out by Belmont and I, SIU. If you're if you're the players on the SIU Edwardsville team, you're thinking to yourself, "My God, we're not going to let this happen again." You know, we're we're better than what we've showed those previous two games, and I think their heart and hustle showed that. You know, throughout the game, uh, the second game 
on Wednesday for the OVC tournament, which felt like I was staying up forever for the game to start, was SEMO and Moorhead State. Didn't start till 9.30, and we'll get to another part of that for the Thursday games. Uh, SEMO trailed 29-20 at the half against Moorhead State. They would ultimately fall 61-54, but really, I I don't want to say it was really a back-and-forth game. It wasn't like there was a lot of lead changes, but SEMO just hung around and kept you know staying in it within striking distance. They opened the second half, I believe, on a, uh, I, th- I think it was an 8-0 run. They cut it to 29-28. Uh, but Eric Reed for SEMO, he, he kept them in the game, 5-9 from three-point range, finished with 17 points. But Janai Broom, uh, you can't say enough about him for Moorhead State. Uh, he would end up making the all-tournament team and would actually be the MVP for the tournament in the OVC. Uh, and he started out with a bang in the first game, played 25 minutes, 4-5 from the foul line, and finished with a double-double, 14 points, 11 rebounds. He ended up missing a few shots as the game went on, but it seemed like right when the game got going in the first half, didn't matter if he was throwing up a hook shot or what have you, everything was falling. And then they'd put him at the foul line, he'd make that too. Uh, Moorhead State uh, ended up shooting 72% from the foul line, and that ended up being the difference. Uh, SEMO committed 19 fouls. SEMO was outscored from the foul line 16-6 to as they fell by seven points to Moorhead State. And if you're if you're a SEMO fan, you really got to like what Coach Korn did, just getting them into the tournament and really being competitive. They hadn't been in the tournament since 2017, so it looks like Coach Korn has the SEMO program on the up and up. Move ahead to Thursday, you had two very good games. And the first game, Murray State and Jacksonville State. Uh, Murray State took a two-point lead at the half, and this was a game that was just back and forth the whole way. Uh, Ended up going to overtime, and they say it's hard to beat a team three times in a year. And... That's exactly what Jacksonville State did. They beat Murray State three times. They outscored the Racers 11-8 in overtime. And Darian Adams was the key factor for Jacksonville State in the game. He had 22 points for the fourth-seeded Gamecocks. And he was key from the foul line. He played 42 minutes out of the possible 45. He was never in foul trouble. And... What he was able to do, just getting to the foul line throughout the game, making seven of eight key free throws for a team that really did not shoot very well from the free throw line. As a team, Jacksonville State shot less than 67%. They were 14-21, so in a game that was decided by three points, Darian Adams' free throws came up big for Coach Harper and uh, JSU. Uh, For Murray State, uh, K.J. Williams – and Telvin Brown, both of them played outstanding. But unfortunately, really the only two players that did much for Murray State in the game, K.J. Williams, 10-19 from the floor, came one rebound shy of that double-double, 23 points, nine boards. And then you look at Brown, played 42 minutes, uh, didn't shoot the best from behind the three-point line, but was able to make eight foul shots, six free throws, finished with 24 points and seven rebounds, and did pass out two assists. But this this game 
really back and forth. And that's kind of how it was for the regular season when these two teams met. I believe Jacksonville State, when they went to Murray State, it was a high-scoring game. Uh, Yeah, they won 85-82, so a game that came down to the wire. And then when they saw them later on in the season, they put up 87 points when they won by 13 at home. Uh, Jacksonville State, Murray State, very good. Uh, They've been having good matchups here recently, and I don't wonder if Jacksonville State or Murray State, if they'll try to keep this like as a non-conference game come next year because obviously this is going to be the last conference game that those two teams will be playing with JSU going to the Atlantic Sun. And I I wonder about that for any team in the OVC. Are they going to try and keep Jacksonville State and Eastern Kentucky on the schedule? Uh, but we'll talk about that here at a later time. You know, I talked about just a few minutes ago, You know, I felt like that 9.30 game was never going to start. Oh, e- even worse on Thursday because the Murray State and Jacksonville State game went to overtime. So the, here I am just waiting for this game to start. Austin P. and Eastern Kentucky didn't start till like 9.50, 9.55. And... Talk about it. So Thursday's games and then Friday, all all those games were decided by three points. Uh, Eastern Kentucky knocked off Austin P. seventy to sixty seven after both teams were deadlocked at thirty seven at the half, and some of the questions coming into the tournament for Austin P. was going to be, will you know, will Austin P be able to get get past or kind of restart their season, in my mind, as they were projected to win the conference, you know, preseason? Right. You know, you had Terry Taylor, all OVC preseason, and it they just couldn't get healthy. You know, they had Jordan Adams, who, you know, the second best player on the Governors, but he battled injuries all year, and that really hurt. Austin P. I mean, really tough luck, but they were able to get Adams back. But when you've missed time like he had, it's hard to get in a rhythm and just and do what you're capable of doing. I mean, he played 34 minutes, but was only two of nine from the floor, did not make a three pointer, uh, finished with just five points. He did have four assists, though. So, So you had him trying to get going. Whereas Terry Taylor did what he's done all year. I mean, he posted another double-double, 19 points and 16 rebounds, while Mike Peake did add 13 points. So I think, it, I mean, you look at next year, uh, you don't know really what's going to happen to Austin P. I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if Terry Taylor comes back. I mean, okay. he, he's he's just done so many great things at Austin P. Uh, and I have not seen yet if, you know, what his decision would be or, you know, when that decision will be made. But if he's able to come back or chooses to come back and, you know, Jordan Adams, I assume, would be there still as he just had like an injury-riddled season, uh, they've got they got a lot of talent for next year if those wild cards are there. So, I mean, I, I would not count Austin P out for next year. I mean, they, they didn't live up to their expectations this year. But not not many teams did due to, you know, the COVID-riddled season. Other teams right. just performed better. And one of those teams was Eastern Kentucky. 
you know, Coach A.W. Hamilton seemed to have his guys at full go every time. You know, one of the better conditioned teams in all of college basketball. You know, they force a lot of steals on defense. They like to play in transition. Uh, Wendell Green Jr., uh, not many people probably heard of him till the season started. You know, he's a freshman for the Colonels, played 39 minutes out of the possible 40, and scored 23 points, going 6 of 7 from the foul line, 3 of 4 from deep. And not only did he have five assists, but he had six steals on defense. I mean, six steals in a game, that's that's pretty remarkable. Not, not many people can do that. Uh, Trey King, been good all year for Eastern Kentucky. Uh, added 17 points. And the one area that helped Eastern Kentucky in that game, and it's pretty obvious if anybody watched it, it was their three-point defense. Yeah, it was a close game back and forth. But if Eastern Kentucky is not as good on their perimeter defense, they, they're not they're not winning the game. They held Austin P to 17% from three-point range as Austin P was just 3 of 17 from deep, where Eastern Kentucky was 8 of 22 from behind the three-point line. So, so you take – go ahead. What are, your, what are your thoughts about the two teams that were picked at the top of the league, Murray State and Austin P, out of the tournament by Thursday? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it didn't surprise me. Just especially for Austin P, just because they've had injuries and they haven't really been able to get that uh, cohesiveness throughout the season. They haven't been able to gel. Uh, it seemed like once they were getting things going, then they'd have an injury. Um, but I think that's just anything this year. You've you've seen uh, other you know other teams and other conferences that were you know whether mid major or power five that were expected to be better. I mean, you can even look at some of those blue bloods, you know, like Kentucky, Duke, uh, Michigan State's get, you know, they've been getting better as of late with some of these top five wins. Uh, But nobody would have expected them to, you know, struggle like they did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same for Austin P and Murray State. Murray State had two of the better players in the, in the conference and KJ Williams and Telvin Brown. And that, they just weren't able to find that groove. They had a stretch where they were putting up, you know, over 75 points for a couple games in a row. And then you'd start to think, okay, Hey, Murray state's found their identity. Uh, but it it just didn't happen. So I wasn't surprised to see both of them, uh, out by, you know, you know, the championship day or the day before. Now, if you would have told me before the season started, if, if both those teams wouldn't be, you know, one of the final four in the tournament, I would have said absolutely not. You know, I mean, because they, you know, they were expecting great things and they had a lot of talent. And but sometimes, you know, you just have other teams that maybe picked lower in the standings just because a lot of people don't know about them. And I think that's where Moorhead State came in. They. That'll move us to Friday, and they played Eastern Kentucky. Moorhead State uh, finished twenty three and seven. They won the tournament, and <clears throat> I don't. They weren't picked that high in the conference, and a lot of that had to do with they had a lot of newcomers. Nobody really knew, you know, 
much about them or what they were going to be able to do because it wasn't like you had a senior-led team or right. there was like some JUCO transfers and just a bunch of wild cards. You know, how are they all going to perform together without having, you know, played much as a group before? And I'll, I'd be damned. They played well. I mean, Coach Spradlin, uh, kudos to him going out and getting some of these JUCOs and, you know, Janai Broom. Nobody would have expected that out of him as a freshman. Uh, so, I mean, you just got to tip your cap to them. But Moorhead State comes away with a 67-64 win over Eastern Kentucky on Friday. Another game by three points. Uh, Devon Cooper 25 points, and Janai Broom had a double-double, had 13 rebounds and 17 points. Uh, this was a game that uh, – so Moorhead State, best defense in the conference. I mean, it's it's obvious, hands down, everybody knows it. I really thought this was still going to be a game that finished in the 70s just based on how fast Eastern Kentucky plays. But you knew Moorhead State was going to try and slow them down, eat up more of the shot clock. And so the game finished in the 60s. I still thought Eastern Kentucky was going to be able to, uh, I don't want to say push the tempo more, but I thought they were going to get to the foul line a little bit more than what they did. They're more of an outside shooting team, but I kind of thought that Moorhead State would key in on their three-point defense, and they would try and feed the post a little bit more. Uh, but their their foul shooting, uh, it really hurt in the game. And if you – I mean, you, you really can't say at the time that, okay, well, if we had done this, you know, we'd win the game. I mean, there obviously there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But this is one that stands out. Moorhead State shoots almost 78% from the foul line. 14 of 18, they win by three. Eastern Kentucky, five of 12 from the foul line, shoot less than 42%. So as a team that's really hasn't been that bad at foul shooting, you know, throughout the year, they just really couldn't get much going from the foul line. And Trey King only had five points in 22 minutes, but he did battle foul trouble. He had four fouls in the game, so that kind of hurt Eastern Kentucky in the game. It really felt in this game like Wendell Green Jr. at one point was going to finally will Eastern Kentucky to a win. It really did. Yeah, and, and he's done that all year throughout OVC play, and I, I don't know it. It just it didn't happen, and mm-hmm. but it, if you watched it, like you just said, it had that feel that okay, Eastern Kentucky's pretty close to you know getting out on top here and, and going with it, but. Moorhead State's defense was just, you know, too good. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the later game for the day. Uh, another great game. Uh, Belmont and Jacksonville State, another game des- decided by three points. Uh, Belmont led the half by eight. Uh, Jacksonville State came back, outscored Belmont 41 to 36 in the second half. And I was really looking forward to this game because both these teams they they played well in the uh during the regular season now jacksonville state did not give belmont a loss however both games were there i think the spread opened up at like seven and a half or eight points for this game but jacksonville state played closer than that in both the games this year 
Jacksonville State lost 98-91 on the road and then had Belmont on the on the ropes for damn near the whole game uh, at JSU, but would ultimately f- fall short 63-59 in that game. But the one area, and I, I honestly think this was the the factor in the game, decisive factor on why JSU was unable to come through in the game for the win. Uh, Brandon Huffman, uh, he picked up his fourth foul. Uh, I mean, early, early in the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, he only played nine minutes in the game. Right. You know, fouled out and had just two points. And this has been a guy that has been huge for Coach Harper after coming over from North Carolina. He's been he averaged over ten points, pulling down over six rebounds a game, and with him out, you're going to have to find somebody else to battle. You know, Nick Musinski down in the post for Belmont. You know, Musinski played 28 minutes, only had two fouls, and he posted a double double. So Belmont still made nine threes, but outside of that, you would think that if Huffman's there for Jacksonville State the outcome of the game could be drastically different. You know, does Muzinski get those 13 points? Because Huffman's been very good all year against some of the bigger post players inside the conference. And on top of that, Muzinski was, I don't know if he was at full strength, but he was battling injuries uh, down the stretch. So, you know, it's a shame to see, you know, uh, JSU, you know, battled foul trouble in the game, but you got to tip your cap to Belmont for hanging on and uh, making 17 of 24 from the foul line. So you move forward to the championship game, and I know you were at the you were at the Missouri Valley tournament during this, but Moorhead State from start to finish just looked like an offense that you really hadn't seen all this year. You know, Moorhead State's been a team where they're going to play great defense and win games in the 60s. And they scored 43 points in both halves during the OVC Championship. They won by 15. And they were one of the two teams to give Belmont a loss in conference play. So Moorhead had confidence. They knew they could beat Belmont as they did, you know, about a week or so ago, week and a half before the tournament. And Janai Broom, as a freshman, played unbelievable. You know, 27 points, 12 boards, 12 and 19 from the floor. I mean, you can't ask much more out of a freshman than what he gave you throughout the whole tournament. I mean, as he was picked all, you know, MVP for the tournament, as he should have been, I mean... That's that's one of the key factors, as I mentioned earlier. Like nobody really knew what he was gonna do. I mean, nobody thought he would. I mean, people knew he was good. Nobody would have saw, saw him being. Oh yeah, this freshman of Moorhead State can see him being the MVP in the OVC tournament. No chance. <laughs> but kudos to him and Moorhead State for getting him involved and getting you know the whole team to gel together after they were prepared for this conference tournament after their brutal non-conference stretch. Uh, but Devon Cooper, uh, 14 points for Moorhead State, 
and he's only a junior. So, I mean, barring anything, you know, him deciding to transfer or, you know, test the waters, you know, I mean, and some of these guys might test the NBA waters with their option of coming back, uh, but he should be back. He'll be a senior. So Moorhead State's got a lot of talent come next year, and uh, Coach Bradlin's been building this program over the last couple years, and they've slowly been getting better. And that, I mean, it showed drastically in this game. They did all the little things correctly. They made almost 92% of their foul shots, 11 of 12. They shot over 54% from the floor, over 47% from three-point range. And... Uh, held Belmont, a good three-point shooting team, to just 34%. Wow. And Moorhead State was not picked to finish in the top four right. in preseason. You know, they were they were in the middle, I believe six or seven. And uh, I'm not sure what seed they'll get to. We can get to that here in a few minutes. But really, uh, Moorhead State start to finish, just anything they threw up was going in. And... Uh, I'm not sure who they're going to play in the NCAA tournament, but you can bet they're going to they're going to give somebody a run for their money. Uh, yeah. But all in all, a really good OVC tournament. I mean, four games by three points or less, or or three points, I should say. Five games, seven points or less, uh, and they played every game. And so, I, as a as an OVC fan. And just anybody that's around the conference, you just didn't want didn't want to see what happened to you know Northern Iowa, you right? Know? I mean, it, you you wouldn't want that to happen to anybody. You know, you put all that hard work in, and then just boom, taken from you. Yep, especially when you thought you were playing well and maybe able to make a move, and you never know. Exactly. But so with that, TJ, that, uh, I'm sorry. That stood out to you about the tournament? Like you asked me, anything that stood out or any? kind of letdowns maybe um yeah i mean i thought belmont was going to play better against moorhead state in the championship um so that really surprised me seeing that they weren't able to keep pace offensively and if i knew that if i knew both these teams were going to be there uh because i said last week and I, i was wrong i said one of the two top seeds I don't think will make it to the championship game mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I was surprised that both were there but in that game as good of the offense as Belmont has been I thought it'd be a real close game outside of the fact that Moorhead's defense is so good I thought Moorhead would be the one that would have trouble scoring uh, whereas Belmont would be able to put up points like they have basically all year. Um, but the other the other area, um, I guess we'll go back to we'll go back to Thursday. I really thought uh, Murray State was gonna pot, was was gonna win. Uh, at points in the second half. So I was surprised to see that they weren't able to basically cl- just close out the game um, in the game against Jacksonville State. Um, outside of that, uh, really, really not much. Um, yeah, I mean, the, that's the OVC tournament. Uh, yeah. For the Missouri Valley, uh, who made the all-conference 
All tournament team. All tournament team. Gage Cram from Missouri State. From Drake, you had Tramel Murphy and Joseph Yesifu. From Loyola, Braden Norris, and then your most outstanding player renamed the Doug Elgin Award for the retiring commissioner of the, of the MVC went to Cameron Crutwig. So really no surprises there. Norris, you know, like I said, had two really solid games. And I think Prim was the best of the guys who didn't make their way into the championship game. How about on the OBC side? Yeah, for the Ohio Valley All-Tournament team, uh, Moorhead State, I mean, had a couple guys on there. Uh, Janai Broom, uh, term MVP, as I had mentioned, uh, Devon Cooper and Skylar Potter. And then you had Belmont's Grayson Murphy and then Wendell Green Jr. for Eastern Kentucky. Okay. And I think what stands out the most when you hear those five players named, uh, two freshmen on that list. Mm-hmm. And it's not often that you see multiple freshmen make an all-tournament team. So kudos to Green and uh, Broom for just playing outstanding, you know, all-tournament. So go ahead. Do you think Belmont gets an at-large or they're, you know, 18-2 in conference, but then their third of their four losses is also against a conference opponent? Kind of like you mentioned earlier, stumbled down the stretch here. Is their resume good enough, or is their non-conference schedule going to hurt them? So, I, there's multiple aspects that I that I would look at when you look at Belmont's schedule. Yes, they're 26 and four. Yes, would I like to see them get in the tournament? Absolutely. Um, they didn't play well down the stretch. I mean. They lost three of their last five games, two to Moorhead State. Uh, but the part that you really got to look at, it's their non-conference schedule. And a part of me thinks it shouldn't be looked at because of COVID, but it just – here's what it comes down to. Moorhead, or Belmont, going into the OVC tournament, had the 10th weakest uh, – uh, schedule in all of college basketball. So th- that obviously does not help things when you're trying to get an at-large. Uh, the eye test would tell you, hey, they're in 26-4. and four. You know, they were receiving votes to be ranked all the way up until that final regular season week. Uh, but you look at their you look at their non-conference schedule. They played Howard, George Mason, Quincy, Samford, Lipscomb, and Evansville. So here's the part that I think you really have to look at when you're a committee. Most mid-majors did not play their normal schedule that they were supposed to have, you know, supposed to have had. You know, a lot lot of mid-majors, you know, got rid of those uh, uh, buy-in games or, you know, games where they were supposed to travel far. And they just went with regional games. And that's kind of, and that's what Belmont did. And you can't fault Belmont for wanting to, you know, keep their players safe, coaching staff safe, and, you know, what have you, you know, other people at the university. So, in a way, you got to like what Belmont did, keeping everything, you know, within region. 
But ultimately, I don't think the committee will look at that. I think they're just going to look at, hey, you know, their strength of schedule was not very good. And, you know, we're going to hold them accountable for it. So I don't think they're going to get in that large. I mean, the loss at home against Samford where they gave up 96 points. I mean, that that definitely hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you just don't know what certain teams would have looked like this year if they played their normal schedule. I mean, Belmont has a lot of talent, and as good as Belmont has been, you damn well know they were playing a uh, I don't want to say stack scheduled, but there was going to be bigger games on there than what their schedule ended up looking like. Right. And we'll never know how they would have been able to compete in that because obviously this, that part of the season did not happen. Um, so I personally think they don't get in that large bid. Would I like to see them get in that large? Absolutely. Right. Um, I think they have talent there to where they can obviously compete with uh, some of those power five schools. Uh so on the Missouri Valley side, what about Drake? Gosh, all all indications are that they're in. You know, obviously they are cheering for the favorites on all every other tournament to win. Uh, I think I just saw that Duke won another game, so you know they're people are going to talk about the brand getting in. Uh, Xavier just lost a pretty brutal loss, so that that could be positive for a school like Drake. But uh, you you worry though too that it takes a bit away you know another bit away like had BYU been able to, to beat Gonzaga does that you know take a bit away but you know fortunately for the other mid majors that Gonzaga wins that game so I think they're in uh, you know they can especially if they think they're gonna have Hemphill back that that would be another you know hey here look how well they did without two of their best players here at the end of the year but. You know, I, I always think of the year that Kenyon Martin played for Cincinnati and got hurt in the first round of the conference tournament, and they got a one seed still, you know. Uh, so do they really look at that or just look at your whole body of work? So, But I, maybe I'm talking with my heart, but I, I think they get in. Well, and I think one of the areas you look at for bubble teams, and as Joe Lenardi has, uh, he's got Drake as one of the last four in, along with Boise State, Colorado State, and Xavier. I think one of the areas that could hurt a mid-major, not saying it's going to be Drake, um, but it's possible that a team that should get in could get left out, mm-hmm. and that's going to deal with the Big East tournament. You know, you have Villanova, who obviously they're going to have a high seed in the tournament, but with their with the injuries that just happened with Gillespie, um, they they aren't going to be favored to win that tournament now. And you look at this game with Seton Hall and uh, St. John's. If one of those teams is able to you know get by and them to face each other, uh, both those teams are on the next four out for uh, Joe Lenardi. So if one of those two teams is able to get hot and make a run in the Big East, they could end up knocking out one of these mid-majors that are considered one of the last four in right now. You know, I mean, you have those four as the last four in, and then you look at those first four out, you have Utah State, St. Louis. So that's two other, what I consider, mid-majors that are trying to get in. And the other two are Syracuse and Memphis. So Mm -hmm. I think, obviously, 
we'll know a lot, you know, the next couple days once these bigger tournaments, you know, get going in full gear. Uh, but outside of the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley, is there a team that you would like to see get into the tournament that uh, maybe hasn't had a great year and would need to make a run in the tournament or just a team that you feel you, you want to see play? I I would like to see St. Louis get a chance. I think mostly just because they had so much time off, you know, there in January and early February. When we, it was like a month that they didn't play, you know, and I think that had a huge impact. I think they were, you know, all indications this was a big year for, for the Billikens. So that that's a team I, I would like to see get a chance. But obviously they had their opportunity as well and, and didn't capitalize on it. How about you? I would agree with you on the St. Louis aspect. I mean, you know, with them being so close to so close to, you know, home, uh, we've seen what kind of talent they have. You know, Travis Ford's a good coach and you know, I they would be able to compete with some of those larger schools in the tournament. Not necessarily saying they're gonna they would win, but it would I think it'd be a very good game. I think they're they have more right. talent than what their record shows. Uh, and they don't have a terrible record. They're 14 and six, but they just don't have the amount of games that other people have been, other teams have been able to play. Right. You know, as they had some non-conference games canceled and uh, a lot of conference games that weren't able to be made up. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think if St. Louis would have played a little bit better in the game against St. Bonaventure, you know, when they they were only able to muster 53 points, uh, right. they may have a better chance of getting in. But I did see this. Uh, I can't remember. I thought it was John Rothstein said it at the half of the Drake and Loyola game. Uh, he, he was saying that uh, I thought Drake, you know, if, you know, once the season ends, you know, go, go play a non-conference game uh, after the, you know, the tournament's over and try and get a win that'll help boost your uh, confidence on getting in. And I'll be honest, I, with this year being unlike anything we've seen, uh, I was surprised that that was even an option. But I guess it, I never thought of it being an option just because most teams have played their max max amount of games going into conference term and they have no room to wiggle in another game. But, I, you know, this year's different, so... Yeah, I mean that that's great in theory and all, but if you lose that game, now you've oh, exact, yeah. sealed it the other direction. So, you know, hey, here's what we have. Tell us what you think, and cause, I mean, who do you get to play here that's gonna be a good enough win? You yeah. know, without the chance of like, hey, if we lose, we may have done ourselves in here. Well, and one of my buddies was saying, hey, you know you're already in St. Louis for the Missouri Valley tournament. Why don't you just head down the road and play slew at uh, Chaffetz arena? You know, both, mm-hmm. both teams are on the bubble, but then, then again, one of those teams not, would, I was one of those teams would lose. And then you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot then. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, time will tell, uh, but going into next week, TJ, uh, We'll look at we'll look at the teams that got in for the Missouri Valley. Hopefully, both obviously Loyola's in, but hopefully Drake gets in too. And then we'll talk Moorhead State on the Ohio Valley side. And then if 
there's something weird that happens, hopefully Belmont sneaks in. But uh, I just don't see it uh, happening. But with that, TJ, do you have any uh, final thoughts here to wrap up the show? Hey, we're just a few days away from Selection Sunday. And uh, one of the biggest, you know, non-holiday holidays of the year. You know, just a, a, you know, a three-week celebration of college hoops. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, to kind of wrap up the show on my end for my final thoughts, uh, just wanted to uh, dedicate this show to uh, my former uh, uh, radio professor, uh, Scott Morris. He, uh, he passed away one year ago today. And, you know, he, he did a lot for me in school and really became not even just like, a, you know, my professor. He ended up becoming one of my friends throughout my time at Lindenwood, broadcasted a lot of football games with him and did a lot for me. So, you know, wish I could, uh, you know, talk to him. And yeah, he was a funny guy and had his own radio show for a while. Uh, but great guy and, you know. You know, rest in peace to Scott as he uh, passed away one year ago today. But with that, TJ, that'll wrap up episode 38 here on View the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 39. You can follow us on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. And you, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.